Thank you for tuning in to the sermon webcast of Living Savior. We are one church serving in two locations, Asheville and Hendersonville, North Carolina. For more information, go to lsavior.org. I only entered two words into the Google search. Lawyer, space, loophole, enter. Do you think I found some news stories? News stories that, no joke, were just from the past two weeks. Stories about how affluent families are finding a loophole in the guardianship laws so that their kids that otherwise wouldn't be eligible for need-based financial aid for college tuition can somehow get it. Loopholes in terms of the whole immigration mess. Loopholes at Lori Laughlin, you know, the whole college admissions scandal, aka explosion. She's still holding out hope that her lawyers are going to find a loophole. Confident, in fact. Loopholes about lawyers in Canada who now might not have to disclose all things that otherwise they may have had to previously in the realm of, of fraud. Loopholes here, loopholes there. Even just in the last three weeks, I have had three conversations with people either over email, phone, or in person. People who are in the process of or in fear of somebody on the other side finding a loophole to hurt or even ruin them. Now, does any of that surprise you? I mean, would Google function differently if you would put loopholes and lawyers, enter, click on the little news thing? No. And nor am I here to bring all that up to try and tell you to take one side or the other on any such issue. Far from it. I'm, I'm here at least initially to invite you to elevate with me to about 30,000 feet. It's comfortable. Stay buckled. And to just look down on this world and to think for a moment, why does this even exist? Like We actually exist in a world that has laws upon laws upon volumes within binders upon volumes within other laws of binders so many laws and and whether it's wrong or manipulated on the one hand or right and for one's benefit on the other hand still we live in a place with so many laws that can can hardly ever be fully carried out for everyone's good why does that even exist why does that exist? It is because we live in a world that is so broken and so imperfect that it is impossible for anyone in this world, whether it's the people who pay lawyers or the lawyers who are available, to carry out and execute the law perfectly. You know this. This is quite simple. Imperfect people will always act Imperfectly, even when it comes to things like that, which should be and is designed by God to be for the benefit of all people in the civic realm. And if it is broken there, my friends, even, even when it comes to things like the letter of the law with all of the fine print on the bottom and et cetera, et cetera, even if it exists there, then I'm here to tell you that, that, that if you and I can look at this world and see that it exists everywhere, where there's so many laws, then it is no wonder that that brokenness that is in, part of the very makeup of our being exists in the spirit spiritual realm too. Tell me, do people look for and even find loopholes in their brains when they approach God's law? 
If you think no, just for a second, then let me ask you this one question to kind of prime the pump for this sermon. When a person thinks, I don't really think people find loopholes, God clearly says this. But then there's that time when we don't feel like it, when there are people pressuring us, when we're tired or exhausted. What is all the self-talk that goes on in our heads that might lead us to do otherwise? Then do people find loopholes? It is in order that God would not only diagnose and properly expound upon what the law is and what the law is not, that we will look at and take a, a deeper look at our lesson from Luke chapter 10 this morning, but it is so that we would see that behind this expert in the law's approach to Jesus and his question, there is something more deeply flawed than just him trying to understand and extrapolate who this man is and what he's teaching named Jesus. This expert in the law underestimates the fraud that is going on in his own heart, the, the depravity of his own heart. And it is in order that we would see loopholes as the thing that we don't need in life. In fact, it deprives us from living the life that God has called us to, and it hurts us that Jesus tells this parable, not just to an expert in the law back then who was looking for loopholes, but to experts in their own versions of religious law today who still look for loopholes in God's commands. I, I invite you to have that lesson open, the gospel lesson I just read from Luke chapter 10. This man that we see is referred to as an expert in the law. And in Jesus' day, this would not just be somebody who was an expert in the civil law and would understand the laws of the land, so to speak, but this would be somebody who understood religious law, an expert in the Torah. The Torah, the first five books of Moses, there are well over 600 laws. And in addition to that, centuries before Jesus even, there was developed this thing called the Talmud, which was basically the rabbinic tradition's way of commentating on and helping extrapolate all the applications of the law of Moses for our everyday life. There were different schools of thought. For example, when it came to things like marriage, where whether or not you could divorce your wife and different schools of thought disagreed on this or that. When it came to, to this civic rule or that one, even who their neighbor was, as we'll see, he asked that question, tons and hundreds and hundreds, volumes and volumes within binders and binders of laws. And this man approaches Jesus, and although he is an, an expert, he proves to, to miss the key, and Jesus gets right to it. This man approaches Jesus and asks him what? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus asks him, well, what is written in the law? How is it that you read it? Trying to find some common understanding, and by the way, this is always a really good thing to do when somebody's asking you a tough question. When they ask you a tough question, you respond with a question. Yes, remember that one. Jesus does this a lot. What is written in the law and how do you read it? And the man summarizes it rightly. In fact, he even summarizes it the same way that Jesus would elsewhere in the Gospels. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And that's true. If you would take the, the moral law that God gave to Moses through Moses for his people, the Ten Commandments, you can divide the Ten Commandments into two categories. There's a vertical category and there's a horizontal category. We call them the two tablets. The, the first three is we commonly number them have to do with our relationship with God. Love him above all things. Do not misuse his name. Remember the Sabbath day. Love worship. Love his word because he is first. That, that's our relationship with God. You love him first, most, and best. You, you think of your heart as, as a factory. And, and when your heart is not even distracted by the regular things of this world, whatever those might be, what is the thing that your heart naturally 
on its own produces. It's a love for, fill in the blank. And the commandments tell us it should be God. It should be to him and for him and with him and among him and from him. It should be God, right? Not, not the priorities that concern us or the, the things that bother us or make us fear as though God is not great enough or strong enough. It, it, it's God. And then commandments 4 through 10 get to the second half. He, love the Lord your God, this expert in the law says. And then he says, love your neighbor as yourself. That, that's a good summary of the second half, those horizontal commandments. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. Value life. Value marriage. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Do not covet this and do not covet all of these other things too. 9 and 10. Love your neighbor. When you love God and you love your neighbor, you keep all of God's commands. He answered rightly. So what does Jesus say? Do that. <laughs> Go do that. Even with a Nike swoosh and you will live. Just do it. Just do that. You'll live. Is Jesus right? Of course he's right. He's Jesus. But even more than that, he's, he's saying the very truth. If you are holy, if you live this out perfectly, if you love God and love your neighbor without flaw, without failure, you will live and you will never, ever die. There's just one problem. And you know what I'm going to say. Is that no one ever has born in this world except for Jesus. There's no way that we can do that perfectly. To never have a flaw in your heart? To never think the wrong thing? I mean, never mind the times when our anger got the best of us and we said that hurtful thing. Never, never mind the time when we totally forgot that God was even part of the picture, much less purposely refused and maybe even belligerently denied his presence in our life on a given day or even a moment of days. Like, th this is something that no, none of us can ever do. So it's natural then that, that the best of us, even an expert in the law, would kind of try to make some qualification. We would say he's looking for a loophole and we even know why. What does our lesson say? Jesus says, go do this. And our lesson says, this man had something going on in his head. He was trying to what? Justify himself. Before whom? Before Jesus? Before the crowd, before God, all of the above. So he asks, who is my neighbor? Because if my neighbor's this person and my neighbor's not this person, then all of a sudden, what have we found? A loophole. And loopholes are really convenient. Did you know that? Loopholes are super, super convenient. Who are they convenient for? They're convenient for the people who are looking for them. Convenient for the people who know that otherwise, if they looked at the letter of the law and followed it as it really states, then they are in trouble. And so loopholes are always convenient because loopholes equal excuses. They equal qualifications. Then it lessens one's responsibility and the guilty verdict that otherwise might hang over me and my failure to carry out the law, especially as it pertains to and is in comparison to the people around me. Loopholes are quite convenient. It, it, it can kind of go like this. God has clear statements about what we are to do with all of our life. We are nothing without him. He has given us all that we have and all that we are. 
everything from our body and our mind, our soul, our time, our abilities, the wealth and the ability to gather and gain wealth through our occupation in life. All of that is given by God for us and for our good. And he's very clear on how we are to use that to serve others, to participate in his kingdom, to give back as a sacrifice to the one who gave it, to be wise in how we manage it for our good and the people under our care. All of it, very clear. But then when it comes time not just to write the check from our checkbook, but from our time and our abilities and our mental capacity, what kind of self-talk goes on in our heads? Are we sometimes good at finding loopholes? Oh yeah, you know, but God, he didn't mean, like, you know, for me at this point. God is very clear of what he wants for our bodies. He's given our bodies for a clear purpose, to give him glory with everything and all that we are. Even especially for things like our marriage and sexuality, God has designed our bodies. He's God. He didn't ask for what's, what's politically correct. He didn't ask for our opinion. He's very clear. He's God. But then when it comes to this temptation or that, when it comes to, to the people who want to test drive marriage or the, the person who struggles with, with this weakness or that proclivity or this propensity or the other, then all of a sudden there's a whole lot of self-talk that can come in and we can, we can easily look for and find loopholes as though God didn't really mean it or he meant this for a different time and on and on and on and on. We're really good at finding loopholes in everything, in everything. It is no wonder that this parable starts out with and the Spirit decided to inspire Luke to write, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Boom! It is, because then it's all out there. Because then it's all out there. Because what is Jesus not after? He doesn't respond to the man to answer his question. Well, let me tell you who your neighbor is. He is after the very heart of it all. The very heart of this man that should be living after the heart of God. So he tells a parable. Arguably the most famous story Jesus ever told between Jerusalem and Jericho, windy back roads. It is a barren wilderness. There's all of these caves and these cutbacks. If, if you've ever been there, it just looks rugged. It, you think of like the Badlands in South Dakota. They used to be known as the place where you didn't just kind of, let's take a detour through the Badlands. No, you just never, you just didn't do that. This, that's kind of like between Jerusalem and Jericho, full of bandits and robbers and thieves, plenty of places for them to hide out. It's no wonder when Jesus told this parable, people would have been alarmed by it. He falls prey to them, and it's not just what happens to him, it's what doesn't happen to him next. Who passes by? The priest. Where does he pass by? On the other side of the road. Who next passes by? A Levite. Where does he pass by? On the other side of the road. And when you and I are again at 30,000 feet looking down, it's really easy to see that there's a problem with these people. Here's a priest, here's a Levite, they should be living this out. These are people called by and even brought into the world through God's design so that they would love and help other people, right? And that's part of Jesus' design. But notice what would happen and even what does happen when there is someone in need. What kind of self-talk, if we were to try to read the thought bubbles of these, of these two men, what kind of self-talk do you think was going on in their heads? Well, who's this idiot who decided to travel alone between Jerusalem and Jericho? It's his own fault. Better luck next time. It's really too bad that he kind of fell into this misfortune. I, I'm sure there's somebody much more capable than me to come and help him. 
if I were to stop and he's still alive? I mean, people are known back in this time to, to fall prey and then they're kind of left alive so that somebody will help them and, and then while you're distracted, then the robbers and the bandits, they get a two-for-one deal and then they'll get me. Whatever it was, we don't know, and that's not part of the story, but I do bring that up simply because we know all too well how this self-talk goes, doesn't it? God gives us all that we have and all that we are, and before us, he lays so many opportunities that maybe do not look as dramatic as somebody beaten up and left in a ditch for dead, but maybe they have been. Maybe it's the person who looks to you, and you are so exhausted, and all they want from you is just a little bit of your time but it's one more thing. Maybe it's the person who looks up to you and a compliment from you to them would mean more than a check with five to six digits. Maybe it's a person who truly has fallen on hard times. And let's even go down that road, proverbially, that maybe it is their own undoing. Maybe it is that they made a ton of terrible decisions. Pause on that for a second and just contemplate this thought. Do you and I think for a moment that we are so wise and so smart and so strong that based on our wisdom and our smarts and our strength, we have avoided bottoming out ourselves? In other words, wherever we are, when we are at the height of where we are or were, do we think that that is all our own doing? So then who of us could ever say for a moment, well, they made bad decisions. They kind of deserved where they are. I don't bring this up because I am saying that I have never thought this or that all of you have fallen prey to this. I say this because Jesus is identifying the problem that there would even be an attempt and yes, even a follow-through to create loopholes in the law of love. Love towards your neighbor. And who is your neighbor? absolutely every single person around you. Absolutely every single person around you. To think that I should love every other person as much as I love myself, my desire for rest comes after their need for it. My desire for some mental quietness comes after their desire for some affirmation or encouragement. My desire for financial stability does not come before theirs. My desire for peace, even the attempt to make it, none of those things would even exist. Jesus gets to this heart of the matter, literally, by taking all of the loopholes that might be created in our love for one another and blowing them completely out of the water. And you know how he does it? He doesn't do it by telling the man, hey, here comes this Jewish guy who then helps out this Samaritan. Because you know how Jews and Samaritans felt towards one another? I mean, you think that we have maybe have experienced racism and maybe you've seen some stark illustrations of that in life. This was terrible. If you were a Jew, you called someone a Samaritan when you were given your best curse word. 
Jews would not travel through Samaria by going and walking through. They didn't even want to touch foot in that country. They either went out by the Mediterranean Sea, the, the way by the sea, or they crossed over the Jordan River and went way around. It would cost them extra time and money because they were filled with that much bigotry towards one another. They viewed Samaritans as half-breed mutts, physically, according to their genealogy, and even spiritually. Samaritans hated the Jews for it. Hated them! Hated them. They hated one another. This would be worse than a yo mama joke. You would call, if you were a Jew, somebody a Samaritan, and vice versa. Terrible. And Jesus doesn't say, look at this, to this Jew, look at this Jew who goes and helps out this Samaritan. Because what would this expert in the law think? And not only that expert, but what would each of us think? Look at this member of living, look at this, what this good Christian did. Jesus doesn't tell the story that way. This religiously bent person, by design, a very religious person, look at what they, out of the goodness of their heart, did. He doesn't tell the story that way. Why do you think that is? Of all the reasons, we can say this. Because religiously minded people will automatically think that this is something that I got to do and since I'm so good and I'm helping others, it serves to my credit and earning credit before God. If he would have said, look at what this Jew did to help this Samaritan that fell prey to robbers and was thrown in a ditch, what would this Jew have thought? A, why would he do that to a Samaritan? And B, good thing those Samaritans have us Jews around. But he doesn't tell the story that way. The master storyteller tells the story this way. The last person you would expect and the last person you would think would want to went totally out of his way to help the last person you would think he would ever want to help. Not only that, he went above and beyond. And Jesus tells the story that way. Why? Because loopholes can't exist there. And then it gets simply to the heart of the matter, and that is where your love is, where your love flows from, and what your love in your heart does freely on its own, unprovoked and for no temporary reward. If at this moment you were thinking of the homeless person that you passed by, the person you saw at the off-ramp on the interstate who had a cardboard sign up. The last time you could have helped out at a food shelter. The last time a family member asked you for some change. Or the last time you saw somebody who probably could have used a hand but you were running really, really tight on your schedule. And at this moment you are feeling quite heavy laden with guilt. I want you to take another step back, ascend to 30,000 feet, and assess what that guilt threatens to do to you. What that guilt threatens to do to you is now make you serve to overcome that guilt and to earn credit before God. Stop it. Stop it. Jesus doesn't tell this parable to get you to do more kind stuff. Jesus tells this parable to remind us of what love really is and what love really does. And it's so foreign. And whether Jesus intended this or not, we can't really avoid it that there would be somebody who would be the last person on earth to show love to this man in the ditch? Somebody completely outside of his world and even an, an opponent to him, an enemy, who would help him out? Does that sound like somebody to you? Whether Jesus, in other words, whether Jesus intended it or not, 
he makes very clear that such love would have to come from somebody completely outside of and apart from the world of that man in need. You know what that love is, dear Christian. You do. This is not just the man who came from a warring nation. This is the one who came from heaven. He did not come into this world to show you what you must do. He came to be what you never could become. He did not give you an example so that if you strive hard enough, you might get there someday, maybe, and so try really hard, and in the end, we'll kind of see where the chips fall. No, he did it all for you for one reason. God so loved. Why? Just because he did. Just because he did. He did more than just get down into your version of your ditch in your world. He actually took all of your imperfection and your unrighteousness and through his perfect life of love to his father and love to his neighbor, all of them, even the last people you would expect, the outcasts in society, all of them, that life now counts for you so that when God looks at you based on what happened in your baptism, he sees this robe of righteousness that covers you for Christ's sake, simply because he loves you. Jesus did more than just go down into a ditch. He hung on a cross and he paid for it all. The depth of our depravity, he canceled it so it would never follow you. This is how big God's love is for you. And, and he's done even more. He, he doesn't say that he's paid your rent for a time. You already, you already, get this, have a place with your name on it in heaven. And that mortgage, that's already covered. Why would God do that for you and for me? Is it because we're so religious? Is it because we're so good? Is it because we have a better than most love for God and love for our neighbor? No. No. It's simply because of his mercy. You have more than just a neighbor, my friends, and your savior. You have the God-man, the chosen one, who came into this world to be what you and I never ever could have become, even according to the best of our efforts. And when you and I see that we have a savior who's done that for us, that gets to the heart. That gets to a different kind of heart that doesn't even want loopholes. It, it doesn't look at people as though they need to do something for us so that we can do something in return. It gets to the heart of who we're made to be. So we look at people not based on how they look or their skin color or where they come from socially or the kind of job that they have or where they sit on Sunday or even how they dress on Sunday and, and where they work and the kind of family they have and how good their kids are behaved and how not good their kids are behaved. It doesn't lead us to look at people anyway like that. It leads us simply to look at people as an opportunity that God has put before us to simply love them for no greater, we would even say, no other reason except that God in love loved us first and most and eternally best. And my friends, when you know that, when you know that, then you don't seek to live out a love that has loopholes towards God or towards anyone. You, then you don't seek to approach anybody that way. Instead, you see Jesus' encouragement, his call, in fact, to you to go, go and do likewise as not something you have to earn, but something that God in Christ already has. 
And it's a call to live a purpose that God and his love has given to you. So my friends, with that and with a heart filled with God's mercy, go and do likewise. God grant it. Amen.